Two under men's performance briefs are the official underwear of the 2021 U.S. Ryder Cup team, the captain and all vice captains. They are worn by more than 30 players on the PGA and Champions Tour. They are also worn by over 70 NCAA Division I colleges and 17 NFL teams. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort, fit, and performance from the golf course to the boardroom to the bedroom. Find these two underperformance men's briefs in over 4,000 golf pro shops nationwide, all Shield sports stores, PGA Tour Superstore, Golf Galaxy, and other fine retailers near you. Go online to twounder.com. That's the number two, U-N-D-R dot com. Two underperformance in your pants. Use code on the T20 for a 20% discount at checkouts. Not valid on items already on sale or NCAA license briefs. And folks, this segment of the show is brought to you by TaylorMade and their TP5 and TP5X golf balls. High draw? Check. Low fade? Check. Bump and run? Out of the sand or flop shot? Check, check, and check. No matter what shot you need to pull off, there's one ball that's better than them all, and that's the new TP5 and TP5X from TaylorMade. With a newly redesigned dimple pattern that decreases drag and increases lift, it's the number one ball in golf no matter the shot. So whether you need to hit it high over the trees, under, or maybe even through them, hit TP5 or TP5X, the one ball designed to handle it all. Check them out online by going to TaylorMadeGolf.com for more information. And now back, and like I said earlier, far too long of a hiatus has gone on since the last time our Director of Instruction, Tom Patrick, has been here. Tom can be found this summer at his new location up in Farmington Country Club in Charlottesville, Virginia. So if you're anywhere near Virginia, West Virginia, or the Washington, D.C. area and you want to get lessons from one of the top instructors on the planet who is going to help you win no matter whatever level you might be competing at, whether it's in your club championship or just with your buddies to decide who's buying the beer at the end of the round, TP is your guy. If you can't go see Tom in person, do what I did, and that's download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing. He can help you get dialed in right through the app. Please check out his website, TomPatry.com, and subscribe to his newsletter while you're on there. You can also subscribe to his YouTube channel and watch over 150 free playing lessons on there. Be sure to follow him on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at TomPatryGolf. And like I say, it's always an honor to have Tom as part of the show. It's been far too long, my friend. How are you, Tom? Chrissy boy! <laughs> oh, how I've missed that. CP, how are you, my friend? Like I say, uh, you know, what I need, I need, you need more cowbell? I need more Tom Patrick. I can't believe it's been so long since you've been a part of the show. How are you, my friend? That 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 intro was the biggest bunch of bull crap I've ever heard in my life. And you just feel sorry for me. Because my Yankees suck, okay, and I don't need any pity right now. I don't need your, I don't need your pity on me right now. Just, just stop being all flowery and stuff. It's just not like you. Just shoot it with, just shoot it right to me. Put it right between the eyes, man. Just take a shot. Oh, all right, okay. you asked for it, you got it, my friend. Hey, hey tell, tell me about what's you. going on with you. So, like I say, it's been seven weeks. What's going on up in Charlottesville? How are things going up at Farming Country Club? Yes, it's been great, Chris. It's uh, you know, as I as I reported last time, um, wonderful golf course, um, really nice membership, place is in great condition, and we've had some hot weather. Our superintendent is doing a great job. We've had some really hot weather, and he's doing a fantastic job just keeping the place alive. Uh, but it's a great facility, you know, and the members they 
they've just been really nice and welcoming. Uh, Charleston is a cool little town, you know, UVA in the middle of town, and uh, it's got a cool vibe to it. It's really nice, so I'm, I'm pretty happy. I got I got a little reprieve this week, Chris. I got to get out of here for a couple of days, and I went up to my old stomping grounds, and I played golf up at Wingfoot uh, on Sunday. So that was kind of fun to get out for a little while and play a little golf. So now you gotta you gotta give us the report. How was uh how was that golf course? What's Wingfoot like to play this time of year? And uh, what was on the scorecard? The scorecard, in, in all honesty, was seventy seven. We played the East Course pretty far back. It was wet. It rained the night before. And you know the East Course is the golf course they don't play the Open on. It's the other golf course, although people don't realize they played. I think they played two or three women's opens on that golf course. They played USM on that golf course. Um, that golf course doesn't have enough credit. They went to a reno a couple of years ago and did a fantastic job lengthening it a little bit. Um, the, the greens on east might be tougher than the greens on west. They're, they're smaller. There's a lot of insulation and movement to them. Um, very high shot quality. It's a good golf course. I, 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 uh, I had two little blunders. I made a double on 10, which was, a really silly double, and I'm, I three putted. I three putted uh, seventeen coming in, and, and other than that, I really actually hit it pretty good. But you just can't you can't miss out there. If you miss on the wrong side, or you get above it, you know you're you're playing very defensive golf. So, uh, considering how little I played because I've been busy, I, I I wasn't unhappy. I actually hit it pretty good. Hit it pretty good. Tom, something else I saw that you did recently was an instructional sec, uh, session, I believe, with some folks over in England on PGA Learn. Talk about what that is. Yeah, I, that came, you know, Chris, that's really interesting. That came out of right field. Um, I guess it, I guess it goes back to the power of social media. I was asked by the, uh, director of instruction for the British PGA to do a live Zoom seminar for the entire British PGA. They, they, they send out these weekly notices to their PGA membership over there. Uh, so it includes England and Ireland. And these guys can check in for a weekly seminar talk from a teacher or an industry industry person. You know, not unlike what we're doing right now, but just, just for PGA members. Uh, and I, I was very honored to be asked. And, and I, I asked the guy when he first contacted me um, how, how he found me. And of all places, guess what? They found me on social media on Instagram. And they wanted to you know, get my thoughts on 42 years of teaching. So uh, it, it was it was a big honor for me, and it was it, the interview went very well. Actually, if anybody wants to see the interview, it's posted on my YouTube channel um, in its entirety. Um, it was, it, I, I was really honored just to be asked to, to speak. It was it was really a lot of fun. Good for you, my friend. As they should have you on something like that. I'm proud of you. There you go. Good for you, Tom. So, Tom, I, w- I want to stay there over in England, if you will. I want to get your thoughts on the Open. Colin Morikawa is now an impressive two-time major champion. He he wins the Open, and this is what blows me away, Tom. He wins the Open having really never played Lynx golf. I mean, he went and played the Scottish Open, which was his introduction to Lynx golf, and he finished high for 71st there. But then he turns around and wins the Open champion. How's that possible? Well, I, I, I'm not taking anything away from the victory, but he got, I think, fortunate in the sense that, you know, there was really no bad weather. Um, it was really not a lot of wind. Um, and yet the golf course wasn't really super firm either because they've had, they've had some rain previously. And I'm not taking anything away from the victory because I've played that golf course because I don't care how 
nice the weather is. That golf course is hard as hell, um, and the sight lines are very difficult off the tee. A lot of blind shots, a lot of ha- really hard to get your get your lines right. He drove the ball spectacular, I thought. I mean, just spectacular. And, and you know, 24 years old, how composed is this kid? How mature is this kid? How far beyond his years is this kid? I mean, if if, if you don't like Colin Moore Tower, you just don't like getting up in the morning. I mean, it's just unbelievable. The kid is. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm 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 a fan. I mean, I, I I just think he's so impressive, and I love the fact that here we have somebody you know rising through the ranks, and he's not a bomber, he's not very big, he's not incredibly strong, um, and I think the comparison to Tiger is is not a very good one at all. He's not the same kind of player. I mean, he's not he's not. Tiger overpowered a lot of golf courses. This kid is not that player. He's he's a plotter. He's methodical. He's he's you know I would compare him more to Ben Hogan than it would to Tiger Woods. You know he's very very methodical. Everything is very well thought out. He's very even keeled. He never gets too high. Never gets too low. He, I mean I I just think he's incredibly impressive, Chris. Incredibly impressive. And Tom, but is that is that why he is like Tiger Woods or or maybe a Jack Nicklaus back in the day because of his mental approach? He doesn't get ahead of himself. He doesn't seem to get too high or too low like you just mentioned a moment ago. Is that maybe he doesn't hit it as far as those two guys do or did? But is that how you would compare maybe to Tiger from a mental perspective? I mean, I think all the guys that I've always been impressed with, Chris, on on tour, you know, whether they're historically before us or in our, in our own generation, guys that I really admire are guys that just can, can control themselves emotionally. It's so hard over a four-day golf tournament. You know, you're going to have some ebbs and flows. You're going to have, you're going to get in some funny spots. You're going to have some very difficult situations. And to be able to stay mentally strong through those bad stretches and still, you know, come out the other end of the tunnel clean, Jack was unbelievable at that. You know, certainly Tiger was incredible at that. Hogan was incredible at that. Byron Nelson was incredible at that. Uh, and, and this kid seems to have that too. And then we look at people like um, Bubba Watson or Bryson DeChambeau, and not so much, you know. Um, so I like I like that kind of demeanor on the golf course. He just, you know, just rock solid. So, so I would agree with you. In that respect, in that respect, yes, like Tiger. So let's expand on the other thing you said, guys that may not be as good controlling their emotions out there. And one of the, one of the guys that, that you didn't mention that also comes to mind that may be a little bit in that category is Jordan Speed. And he, he went out, he had a final round 66 in a major, which is an outstanding finish. But if you go back to the way he finished the third round on Saturday, he goes bogey, bogey. And that, one of the first bogey was on 17, obviously, with a wedge in his hands. And you know how great he is with the short iron. But he ends up making what I would say is an unmorphed error on 17 to go make a bogey. And then to finish with an 18-inch an putt on 18, another thing that you would say, Jordan Spieth's not missing an 18-inch putt. But he does. And now he now instead of being right there one stroke behind and maybe in the final group, now he's three strokes behind going into Sunday. I don't know, Tom, one of the things that concerns me about Jordan is that I don't know if he loses focus or the pressure starts to get to him a little bit. We saw it in 17 at the Open Championship on the 13th hole where he hits that ball so far right. It was incredible. And then, you know, he 
collects himself, which was outstanding. But I'm a little concerned on the mental side for Jordan. I don't know. What, what are your thoughts? Well, Chris, I, I, I have to agree to a thousand percent. I, I think Michael Grill has got his hands full in that bag. I mean, he's just, he's just like a Mexican jumping bean. He's all over the place all the time. And, you know, I think, you know, listen, Jordan Spieth is an incredibly talented golfer. No doubt about it. I mean, you know, he's got a great record. Uh, but since that one hot year, that, you know, incredible year he had, we haven't seen that much great golf since then. We've seen a couple of spurts here and there, but not with any consistency. And I, I, I don't quite understand, you know, how he approaches the game mentally. Uh, I still think there are some things in this golf swing that look really funny to me and that, and they don't seem like things that are incredibly hard to fix or get your hands wrapped around when you're that good of an athlete. Um, I, 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 I'm not, I'm not a big fan of how Spieth behaves on the golf course and how he goes about it. And I'm certainly not a big fan of what he seems to be missing that's highly fixable in his golf swing. Tom, another guy I want to get your thoughts on is Louis Oosthuizen. Now, look, Louis has had a, a, a great year, three top threes. But I, I want, I, I'm just, I'm with for Louis. I love Louis. I'm a big Louis Oosthuizen fan. Everybody will tell you that. And I'm, I'm a little disappointed that he didn't bring one of those home. I mean, he finished tied for 26 at the Masters. If you look at, you know, his, his performance in the four majors, T2 at the PGA, second at the U.S. Open, and now tied for third in the Open Championship. We know he's had leads or been right there in the final group in those three majors. I don't know. It's sort of the glass is half full or the glass is half empty. When you look at Louis' season, and we know he's made a ton of money, but is that a, is it a successful year having three top threes in a major, or are those three missed opportunities that might not come back around again? I think they're both, Chris. I think that you know you cannot hold this a, a bad year by any stretch of the imagination. You can't. You're playing against the greatest players in the world and, and four pressure cookers, and you, and you played some fantastic golf. Now I think this one, this last one. You know, he kind of stepped on his own hands coming down the stretch, and, you know, he did it to himself. You know, any of those other ones, you know, I thought he played great golf from, from start to finish, and he, and he got beat. And sometimes you play great golf, and you, and you get beat. You know, and you tip your hat to the guy with beat team and say, you know, well done. This one this one was a bit of a giveaway. If you look at his last round score of 71, he was the highest score by, I think, two shots over everybody in the top 12, I think. Um, so he, he didn't play a great final round. And, you know, the blunder on the uh, par five from bunker to bunker was obviously the defi- probably the defining moment of that round and took all the wind out of the sails. So this one was a bit of a giveaway. But, you know, Chris, I, I don't think you can explain to the public, having having played golf for a living for, for eight years of my life, how hard it is to play golf in that situation coming down the stretch of a major. Not that I was ever in that position, but being around that, that, that type of player, having coached some players out there and having played professional golf myself, it's it's so hard, you know, playing with the lead the last day, you know, in that environment. So I you know, I, I'm a big I'm a big Louis fan too, so I'm with you on that. And no, I don't think his last chances have passed him. I think he, I think you'll see him again. Tom, let's switch gears a little bit. Wanna get your thoughts on the way the RNA handled COVID there at the Open, with the hoops that the players 
had to jump through just to be able to play in the event. But on the opposite side of that, they allowed over 30,000 fans on the grounds per day. It certainly raised some questions in my mind. It's something I talked to Mark Wiebe a couple of weeks ago about. The way I sort of view it is they really went to extreme lengths to keep the players safe and safe from one another. You need to ask Ricky Fowler about that. Um, but then they let that 30,000 fans in there. It was sort of like, hey, we want to keep these guys safe. You guys, you fans, eh, you do what you need to do. You come on in, no worries, be as close as you want, what have you. It, it just it felt odd to me the way they handled the situation. I don't know. What did you think? No, I'm with you, Chris. So, so I was watching on Sunday thinking about this, and I watched certain um, certain runways that where players walked from green to tee, walked off of green to the next tee, and, you know, the ropes were up, and there were these little alleyways they walked through, and they weren't very wide, and they had a pack of fans on one side, packed pack of fans on the other side, and they certainly weren't 10 feet away from either side of the rope. And fans reaching over with their hands hanging out and trying to touch the player and, and you know, shouting things at them. <laughs> so no masks on, obviously. So is that safe for the player? So you have 30,000 people on the property. You get them in certain key junctures on the golf course and the player's walking from green to tee where the fan has, you know, has the ability to get fairly close to the player. <clears throat> and then yet you put that kind of protocol on them coming over and restrict them from staying with another player, from going out to dinner. Um, listen, you know, at Memorial, when John Rahm went through that situation, those players were told, if I'm not mistaken, I, and I could be wrong on this, were told at the beginning of the week that, listen, if you test negative at any point during the event, you're out. Do what you want to do. You can do whatever you want to do. But just understand, if you go through a fast test in the morning, you test positive, you're out. So why not use the same protocol? I am... I am long done in my life as a professional with both the USGA and the RNA. Sorry, long done. I, I just think, and, I'll, and I'm going to get in so much trouble here, but I'm, I don't really care. What a bunch of knuckleheads! I mean, just a bunch of knuckleheads <laughs> running, running, running from premier events. They just, they're just not qualified to do it. They continue on both sides of the pond to make incredibly poor decisions, whether it's course setups, whether it's protocol, and we can go on and on. I just don't get the thought process. I don't get it. So let's take that a step further and talk about poor decisions. Now we're days away from the Olympics over in Tokyo and we've known for well over a <laughs> we've known for well over a year that, you know, Japan is a hot spot for COVID. We have athletes testing positive who are already over there. They're, there's not going to be any fans at any of the venues, so the athletes are going to be out there achieving great things, but there'll be a couple of people clapping for them. It's like we held an Olympics and nobody came. And I hate it for those kids, Tom. I mean, they've been training now. You know, a lot of them, this might be their last Olympics. They've been training for five years instead of four, right, because we got the postponement from last year. Others have been training their whole lives to have sort of the thrill of the crowd and achieve it, you know, achieve great things, winning whatever the event that they're going to be playing in. But no fans. You may end up testing positive, so you miss out on the whole event anyway. They've got these crazy cardboard beds for these guys and gals to sleep on over there, which is another nutty thing. It's a whole different topic. But I don't know, your thoughts on the Olympic situation? 
So I don't know if you saw the article this morning in USA Today by Christine Brennan, um, who's over there covering this, I guess. Um, and she made reference to, and I don't know the exact number, but quite a few people already tested positive over there. And she didn't say this outright, but what she implied in the article was she thought there was a fairly good chance that you're not going to get through the end of the first week of these games before they're stopped and canceled. I mean, you look at NBC wow. Sports, you look at the you look at look at the Japanese uh, infrastructure and what they stand to lose. It's in the billions and billions of dollars. Um, you know, it, you know, something like fifty percent of the Japanese population has not been vaccinated and doesn't want to be. You've got these people over there that are coming from all over the world, okay? And now you've got a myriad of negative tests already. Oh, I'm sorry, positive tests already. And and the implication is that maybe these games don't they, they start they don't finish. And and then you have billions of dollars of lost revenue to the host country. And like you say, Chris, the most important thing is not the dollars. It's these Olympic dreams of these people who trained for years to the situation. And because they haven't taken the right precautions, you know, that that their dreams are going to be wiped out. And, you know, a lot of these people will not have a second chance. You know, um, it, it's not, it's not good. It's obviously not good. Tom, I want to, one more before I let you go. And I want to go back to, you mentioned Bryson DeChambeau in passing a little bit ago, and we got more about Bryson at the open. After his opening round, he said, if I can hit it down the middle of the fairway, that's great. But the driver right now, the driver sucks. A good face for me. We're still trying to figure things out. We're trying to make it good on miss hits, et cetera, et cetera. Do we need to cut him some slack for that kind of comment? Because we all know these guys are sort of ushered right in after a round, right into the the uh, the interview table, and then they, you know they're asked a bunch of questions. They don't get an opportunity to kind of cool down, and maybe if they they've had a frustrating round, to kind of let that sink in and and move on. But, you know, when I think about what Bryson did, um, I get that he only hit four out of 14 fairways that round. But, you know, Ben Showman, who is Cobra's tour operations manager, said that those comments were painful and stupid. Um, Bryson has a propensity to, to do that sort of thing. I don't know your thoughts on, you know, I know we've talked about Bryson in the past and the whole Brooks thing and all that sort of stuff. But your thoughts on what he said about his equipment manufacturing company. Is that a... Hey, we got to cut him some slack, or is that just another stupid thing he said? I cut Bryson DeChambeau at this point, Chris, zero slack. He is the premier knucklehead on the PGA Tour today, and maybe the premier knucklehead in professional sports today. I mean, we have the Kepka thing. We have, the, the, you know, the, the beef me up thing. We have the driver thing now. You know, we have the caddy situation. It's just, it's just like one thing after another, you know? I mean, how many times are we going to hear this kid do something absolutely off the charts and, and, and we're going to cut him slack again? Listen, if I'm, if I'm the president CEO of Cobra Golf and that comes across the air at a major in a press conference, when I'm paying you a lot of money to endorse the product and play the product, and I've been bending over backwards with 9,000 tweaks to your equipment because you're out of your mind, guess what? 15 minutes later, you'd have a blank, you have a blank space on your bag. Yes, I, 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 he is 
I have no time for Bryson DeChambeau, none, zero, not not even a, a whisper. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners about uh, your website, all the great content you've put out there on your YouTube channel, and how they can uh, follow you both uh, online and on social media. Chris, before I do that, as I as I like to do almost every time I come on here, and for everybody listening, we got to thank Chris Mascaro for putting on content every single week, and 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 listen, I'm excluding myself in this comment for sure bringing on some really talented people, telling great stories and, and, and relaying great information to the listener out there. Uh, what, a, what a great venue and a, and a great application of knowledge Chris Mascara provides all of us every week on Next on the Tee. For example, tonight, a fellow named Bob Driscuit, who's coming on to the end of the show, is in my mind the most talented, unknown teacher in the world. Not in the country, not in the state of Florida, in the world. The man is somebody I rely on constantly for information. He's become a mentor of mine. Um, he's one of the greatest technicians on the planet right now, and somebody who's so passionate about his craft, it's incredible. And where is he? He's on Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro. Because that's who Chris Mascaro brings to the table every single week. Who cares about Tom Patrick's website? Nice job, Chris Mascaro. <laughs> well, I appreciate you saying all that, TB. It means a heck of a lot to me. But um, well, it's, it's true. You know, Bob it's true. is a is a wonderful guy that you introduced me to. So uh, kudos to you for bringing Bob to to this show. So uh, I thank you as well, my friend. Yeah, well, he's he's talented. You'll, Tom, let, again, you, know, you, you got to let them know how they can stay up to date with you because you're the best, my friend. TomPatry.com is the website, Chris, and then, you know, like all of us, all the social media venues, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all those places. And, of course, the YouTube channel has become a lot of fun. Uh, and I'm just about to start filming probably 20 to 30 more tips here coming up pretty soon. Actually, I'm going to film uh, about 20 of them this week, as a matter of fact. It'll take us a couple weeks to edit them, but there'll be 20 to 30 new ones in there within the next month. I can't wait for that. So, folks, go on to make sure you subscribe to Tom's uh, YouTube channel because there's a lot of great content that's already there. Again, over 150 videos right there. And then he's going to add 20 to 30 more. You don't want to miss it. Tom, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come back and be a part of the show. You're the best, my friend. I look forward to catching up with you. Actually, you're, you're right back on the show next week. We usually go every other. But we got uh, you and Bob Ford next week. So looking forward to those conversations. Oh, really? 40 next week? <laughs> wow. That's, that's, like, right. that's, like being with, that's, like, that's like being with royalty. Please tell, uh, Bob, tell Bobby Gris that I said hi tonight, will you? Absolutely. We'll do it. Take care, TP. We'll catch Thanks, up Tom. again soon. Thanks, Chris. Hey, man. That's a great Tom Patrick. P-A-T-R-I. Tom Patrick Golf is where you can find him on social media. And then again, like I say, that YouTube channel, you got to subscribe to it. So much great content out there. And if you're nowhere near Virginia and you still want to get a lesson from one of the best instructors on the planet, make sure to download the V1 video app and send Tom a video of your golf swing. He can get you dialed in through that app. He's fantastic. We look forward to catching up again with Tom next week.